this series of meetings going through the chapter of Isaiah 53. It's been uh, a wonderful few weeks here uh, to go through this chapter every night to think about our Savior, and every night to know that there is the greatest chance of what is considered to be the most unbelievable thing happening on any given night here of a sinner being saved, uh, of someone who is going down and perishing to recognize that Christ has done everything for you to be with him in heaven, for you to be forgiven of your sins. And so tonight, before we turn to the last verse in this great song and chapter, we'll ask for God's blessing on the meeting, and we'll pray. Our Father, we give thanks once again for your Son, and thankful this evening to once again be able to not only sing about his words, uh, but to also consider words spoken of him long before he ever took his first breath here on planet Earth, and yet words that would tell us about the time in which he breathed his last of Calvary. Words that would tell us about one who bore our sins and our iniquities, our transgressions. All that was wrong with this world, he came to make right, and he did that by giving himself. We pray that tonight as we once again reflect on the great servant song, and as we look towards its closing lines, as the chapter closes, and as the song closes, might we also realize that our lives, too, will one day come to a close. And all that will matter on that day is whether or not we know the man that we have been speaking about, the man that the prophet has spoken about and has declared him as the one who is able to bear our burden, to bear our iniquities. We pray, Lord, that someone here tonight, maybe not having him when they enter this meeting, would leave knowing Christ as their Savior, knowing their sins forgiven. We ask for your help tonight and for your blessing upon us and so many other places where the good news of the gospel is going forth. And this we ask in your son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. So if you want to open your Bible or the pamphlet tonight, we've come to the last verse of Isaiah, chapter 53. We're going to read the last verse and we will then comment on it tonight in the gospel and that will conclude uh, this greatest chapter that we have read here in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53 and verse 12. I might note before we read it, maybe you knew this, maybe you didn't. But in the New Testament, a lot of times the Lord Jesus, he quotes words from the Old Testament. You can go back into books like Deuteronomy, and when he's confronted with Satan, there he will quote words from Deuteronomy when he is confronted with the Really, the, the greatest evil that is seen in this world coming from Satan himself, the Lord Jesus, will quote from Deuteronomy. And sometimes he would quote from other books like Genesis. And he would quote also from the Psalms. He would quote from other books in the Bible. But when you come to Isaiah 53, you must say, he must have quoted this chapter over and over and over again. And actually, he did it. He only quoted one verse in this whole chapter. We're going to read that verse tonight. He only quoted one part of it. Only one part. So the Lord Jesus in all his life, we only have him recorded saying one phrase from this magnificent chapter. It's all about him. But only one little line does he read, does he speak, and he speaks it right before he dies. 
He says, I'll be numbered with the transgressors. We're going to read that tonight, but it's significant. This is the only verse that he quotes. So if you listen tonight, you're not only listening to the words of Isaiah. You're not only listening to the words of God. You're listening to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll read this verse together. Therefore, will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his life poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many. And he made intercession for the transgressors. We'll read that one more time. And really what my message is going to be on tonight is those last four lines of this song and of the chapter. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because, these last four lines, just take note of them. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many. He made intercession for the transgressors. And the song ends, and the chapter ends. And I'd like to speak on those last four lines. When you think of the book Isaiah that you have gone through this week, just this one chapter, but which you hold in your lap, sometimes we take it for granted that we read it in the English language, that we can look at it, that we can understand what a prophet said so many years ago. It was only back in 1947 that a young, they called them Bedouins, they were young uh, sheep herders, they really had no homes, they were kind of the scum of society, one of these young sheep herders who, who herded his flock towards the Dead Sea area of Israel, and there he was leading his flock towards the southern rim of the Dead Sea, and he was taking rocks as he was walking along, and he took these rocks, and if you ever go there along the Dead Sea, you see these caves that are all along the coast. It's a, it's a cliff-like formation that goes up at these caves that dot the side of the Dead Sea. He was taking these rocks and he was throwing them right into those caves, almost as though it were an accuracy challenge. And he, he pitched them one after another. And into one of those caves, he threw a rock and all of a sudden he heard a shatter. He heard a shatter. And it was a clay jar that broke open. And the sound was so distinctive he left the flock, he went up into this cave, and he looked down, and what he had broken was a clay vase that was over 2,000 years old, before the time of Jesus Christ. And inside of those vases were scriptures from the Old Testament. Pieces of the Bible from Genesis and Exodus, from Deuteronomy, from the Psalms, from books like the Prophets, and the Song of Solomon, from Nehemiah and the kings, all these different little pieces. And, and there it was, just, just little pieces that were 2,000 years old. Some of them were drying up and were barely recognizable. He took those pieces and he sold them to someone else for just pennies. And then they were sold to someone else in, a, in an advertisement in a newspaper until someone figured out what they were and realized these were the oldest pieces of the Bible that the earth had ever seen. And of all the books that they found in those caves from that boy throwing rocks, of all the books that they found, there was only one book that they found that had every chapter from chapter 1 until chapter 66. The book that we're reading from tonight of Isaiah. And within those manuscripts, there was Isaiah 53. I like to think of the Lord Jesus walking along the Dead Sea there and looking up into those caves and thinking, 
And those caves are pages that tell about me and my death. And he'll say, no one's going to find those for thousands of years. Amazing. Amazing to think that the Lord Jesus could look up into those caves and go, there are pages in those caves that tell about me. And it's going to be thousands of years before anybody ever reads them. The Lord Jesus tonight looks at you looking at the pages of Isaiah. And thousands of years from now, you won't have a Bible in front of you, but you will be in one of two places, heaven or hell. And what Jesus Christ wants tonight is that tonight you would realize that the greatest discovery that this earth has ever found has not been the Bible in a cave, but the Savior on a cross. I would never know God. I would never be able to even start to tell you about God if it were not for a cross. I couldn't. I could never tell you even the smallest detail about who God is if I never knew him as he is in this chapter as the Savior upon a tree. And the greatest tragedy that this world has ever known has not been things that make us so sad that we read in the papers. The greatest tragedy that the world knows, and it knows it every day, is when souls leave this world without Jesus Christ. And so tonight, it'd be one thing if I begged you. It'd be another thing if your parents begged you. It'd be another thing if someone here begged you. But tonight, God... God is so longing to see you saved, for you to know your sins forgiven. And you could know that through what is written in this ancient song about a Savior who is alive and who would love to see you saved tonight because of Calvary. When we read these words and we look at them, it's like a firework show. If you ever go to see a firework show and maybe no one went last year because they weren't there, and hopefully this year, it's like a song. And some songs, they... I think the reason I like singing that song in the same way you do is it, it builds up and you're building the song and it gets louder and louder and, and sometimes when I'm singing, especially when I know that one of my brothers is sitting behind me or, or someone there, and it seems that you, as you sing the song it gets louder and it gets louder and it gets louder and it gets to the end of the final verse and it, it's just going to, we, we say it's like a fireworks show when it gets to the grand finale, you say it gets so immense you are blown away by all the truth that comes forward at the end of this song. And Isaiah 53 is no different. Because as the writer starts and he says, who has believed it? Who has seen it? And as you go through this song, he comes to the last couple of lines. And it's as though it can't get any greater. It can't get any grander. And he says, who? Who is it? Who is it that's going to divide the spoil and this victory? Who's going to do this? Who poured out his soul? Who poured out his soul unto death? Who was numbered with the transgressors? Who bore the sins of many? Who made intercession for the transgressors? Who did it? And you're left asking and you're left wondering, but you're not tonight. If someone walked in those doors for the first time tonight and they missed every meeting from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they'd never been here before, if they had never opened the Bible, they might, they might come in and I'd have to stop and I'd have to go first time. Someone's in here for the first time and I'd have to go, okay, okay, reboot. And I'd have to tell them who he is and I'd say, sir, ma'am, whoever it was, I'd say, did you know? That Christ Jesus, the man that we've spoken of, he's taken your burdens. And they'd say, I never knew that. But you already know that. 
a person come in tonight for the first time and they brought their son or daughter and their son or daughter sat down in the front row and I say, did you know he was wounded for your sins? And they say, I never knew that. But you already know that. If an older person came in tonight and they come from Brooklyn, maybe they were walking along that path and maybe they knew that there was going to be a meeting here and they sat down here and I would say, man, did you know there was one who was crushed for your iniquities. Did you know that? That God has designed a plan to take your soul from being a sinful soul and gave his soul for yours that you could be in heaven forgiven. They say, I never, I never knew that. But you know that. You know that tonight. And in many ways, I have nothing new to tell you tonight because you already know it, but you haven't believed it. You haven't believed it. And so I go back to verse 1. Who has believed? Who? The Bible then tells me these four lines. And in case anyone was doubting, in case anyone was not sure, if there were any questions still left, the Bible ends this great song, Isaiah, as he's penning these lines about the Savior. He says, if there's any questions left, I will answer them all right here in these last four lines. He says, he, this man, he said, he poured out his soul unto death. He poured it out. How many times you or I have thought about, is something really empty? Ever ask yourself, is it really empty? We, we turn things over and we shake them out. We take glasses and we pour them out. We have that we say sometimes after a great storm, or really, are the clouds empty? Is my bank empty? Is it empty? Is my gas tank empty? We want to know when something's no longer in something. And how often in salvation you have thought, just like I thought, that I want to do something for my salvation. I just want to take it and add a little bit just to the top. I just want to give one thing. I want to add something. I want to have some kind of emotion. I want to sing a song. I want to say something. I just want to add it all the time. Salvation is not what you add because salvation is about someone who empties himself. Someone who poured everything out. He gave all that he had. Nothing more. Heaven was turned upside down and it was empty in order that you could be filled with this man, with the knowledge of salvation. When I think of sometimes what I would give, I know you say, oh Dave, I'm not trying to give anything, but we are. We, we want to we say, you're, you're, you're tricking us because you tell us every night that it's done, it's finished, and I can't, I can't give anything. If you really knew that you couldn't give anything, you'd have salvation tonight. If you knew that God gave everything. I think sometimes of a, a job I did years ago, uh, and it was in a town a couple over from me, and, and as I go through my work day, I stop at different houses for different jobs, and I still remember the job that I stopped at one afternoon, and when I pulled into the driveway, the car in the driveway had a gold star on the license plate of this car. And I remember I pulled my truck up to the front of the house, and the man came to the front door, and he says, I'll, I'll see you around back. That's where I had to go to do the work. I saw the gold star on his license plate, and I knew what the gold star meant. It meant someone had died in his family over in a war. And I went around to the back, and I started to, to, to dig up things in the backyard, and I, I said, 
I said to the man, I said, uh, I said, who, who do you know who died in war? Because he had the gold star on his back. And I looked at the man, and he was only maybe 10 years older than me. And, and I, I never forget it. He turned to me and he said, uh, my wife, my wife died. You know, there was probably like five minutes of silence because what do you say to someone who gave everything? You didn't have any kids? You didn't have anybody else in the house? You said, oh, Dave, you should have you told him everything that you gave. You should have told him about the donations you made to soldiers, about the care packages you did. You should have told him about the notes that you've written or the, the veteran's home that you visited. You should have told him something that you did. No, 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 no. Why would I tell someone who gave everything something that I did? If you want to be saved tonight, you realize there's nothing for you to tell God about what you're going to do because God already gave everything. The Bible says he poured out. He poured out his soul into death. If you poured out my life, if you took me and poured me out, only thing that would come out of me is sin, wickedness, things that I'm ashamed of, all the things that I would rather hide, all the things that cause me such grief and, and things that I never want anyone to know. If you took me and poured me out, the best that would come out of me is pride and anger. The best that would come out of this life if you poured me out would just be things that we would say weren't worthy to be put on the back shelf of some library that's ever visited. But when God poured his son, it was perfect. You know, you can go read Psalm 22, and there, the words of the Lord Jesus, he says, I'm poured out like water. I'm poured out like something so pure, something so refreshing, something so life-giving. Him poured out, poured out for us. His soul was poured out for our sins. That's what the scripture says. So significant that we recognize this. It's not what we're going to add, because... Salvation was one man being poured out. Nothing to add because everything has been emptied when Christ gave his life at Calvary. You know, the next line says this. If you were thinking that there was something to add or a who to add it to, the next line says, number with the transgressors. This is the quotation that the Savior makes. And he makes it there right before he's going to go to Calvary. And he says, I was numbered with the transgressors. And he speaks about it and he says this. Very significant. He says, everything that the prophets have written, I must fulfill. Everything. The Lord Jesus, when he read Isaiah 53, did not get to choose which verses he wanted to do and which verses he did not want to do. He didn't get to do that. Sometimes you or I, if we're handed something and, and someone says, here, here's the rest of your life and gave you a hundred things. And they were, they were some good, some bad, some terrible, some okay. You'd say... I'm going to pick which ones I want from this. I'm not going to choose all of these. And yet the Savior, when he read Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 12, every single verse he knew, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be crushed. I'm going to be bruised. I'm going to be wounded. I'm going to be chastised. I'm going to be cut off out of the land of the living. I'm going to be poured out. 
And the Savior said this about being numbered with the transgressors. He says, I must fulfill every single part of this scripture because if I don't fulfill every single part, then I'm not the Savior. Thank God that this chapter tells us that we can know him. And Isaiah tells us those great words, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no one else. Not only did the Savior choose every single verse here to be true, he chose also to be the one that would come to seek and to save. He chose the one who could say, Look to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I think of this numbered with the transgressors. It tells me he came to where the problem was. Few people want to do that. When you think of a problem, you ever see that? You'll see commercials of, uh, of, of people who are starving somewhere. And you know what they're asking you to do? Send your money over there. You'll see commercials of, of areas where there's been a great devastation, a hurricane, or something destructive, whether it's down in Haiti or somewhere in the islands, and they'll say, could you please donate, send something there? And that's, that's about as, as good as it gets, and you feel good about sending your money, sending your care to where the problem was. You know, the Savior came right to where it was, and he says to you, you don't have to move. You don't have to move an inch. He came from heaven. He came to earth. Bible says he was numbered with the transgressors. It's like a, it's like a roll call. You ever been in, in school, which maybe some haven't been for a while now. You get to school, and you sit down, and they go through the attendance sheet. And if your last name starts with a B, you're going to be pretty close to the beginning of the, the sheet. If your name ends with a Z, you're going to be dead last. If your name starts with a G, you'll be somewhere in the middle. And you say, that roll call, numbered with the transgressors. And there he was, born in Bethlehem. And they could say, Joseph, here, transgressor. Mary, here, transgressor. They called it called shepherd number one, two, and three, here. They could have called all the magi that came here, the roll call, when he was born. They could have said, Jesus of Nazareth, here, numbered with the transgressors. Could have thought of him with the, with the disciples going on the Sea of Galilee. And there he was with the disciples, Peter, here, James, here, John, here, Nathaniel, here, Judas, here, Jesus Christ. Numbered with the transgressors. Could have gone to the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses, here. Elijah, here. James, here. John, here. Peter, here. Lord Jesus, here. Numbered with the transgressors. You see, this whole world, wherever you place the Lord Jesus, whether you place him when he fed the 5,000, whether you place them in the garden, whether you placed him in a synagogue, whether you put him in a boat, whether you put him in his family, whether you put him anywhere, it was always true. He was numbered with the transgressors. He was numbered with sinners because he came to where the problem was. He came to where I was. You know, if you've ever had a, a devastating problem, if you've ever been in a car accident, if you've ever had something go wrong, I can remember when I broke my leg, they didn't ask me to move. They came to where I was. I think one day, 
One day we're all going to get home to heaven. I was looking for the hymn. It's not in the book. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more. When the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saved of earth are gathered over on the other shore, and the roll is called up yonder. Seth, there. John, there. Deborah, there. What about when they call your name? Maybe you have the same name as someone else. Maybe when they say your full name. Will we hear your voice? There. Because he came to where I was in order that I might be where he is. One day they're going to do the roll call in heaven. And you know what will still be true there? Numbered with the transgressors. He'll still be the only man who'll be surrounded by sinners because he's the Savior. My question for you is, when they do the roll call in heaven and they mention your name, will we hear your voice or will it just be quiet? Numbered with the transgressors. Says he bare the sin of many. You say, we've heard this once in this chapter. We must have heard it four or five times. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He bore our griefs. He bore our sins and our sorrows. He took them. And salvation tells me this. I'm looking for this, this time in my life where I can just get rid of all the bad things. If somehow I could take all the bad that I've done and, and get it and sweep it under somewhere, if I could hide it in a room, if I could just somehow dispose of it, if no one finds out about all the things that I've done, the, the sins that I've thought, and the feelings that I've had, the anger inside of my heart, these sins, we're looking for a way to get rid of them. And all the while, we forget that there's a man who's looking to take them. It's not just me looking to get rid of them as though somehow I could take them and put them in a sack and bury them somewhere far from home. But no, there is a man who came to where I was. A man who was empty. He gave himself. And a man who wants to take my sins and make them his own. Because he did that when he died at Calvary. He took my sins. He made them as though they were his. You ever have that with something? I, I never like that. You ever own something and, and, and someone else takes it and it, they almost, it's like they think it's theirs. You have a car and you lend it to someone and you see them driving somewhere in that car and you say, they're using it like it's, like it's theirs. It's not theirs, it's mine. And you see that someone comes over to your house and, and there they are. They don't take their shoes off and they got their feet up on the couch. You're like, it's almost like they think this is their house. And someone uses your phone, and there they are, they're going on your phone, they're downloading things. You say, it's almost like they think it's their phone, and it's not theirs. You say, it's mine, and they don't know the difference. My friends and I, this chapter has told you over and over and over again, your sins. That day at Calvary, when Christ died for sins, you say, oh, he died for my sins. He did, and everyone in this meeting would add their amen to that. But when he died for sins, he made them his own. Because God looked at his son as though he were me. And he makes no mistakes. He says, Christ is dying for sins. He was dying for mine. 
but he made them his own. That day at Calvary, I could have been confused and wondered, does he think those sins are his? Because he took them and he died for them. I know every one of the sins I've committed. I, I haven't made a, a log of them, but God has, and he took every single one and he placed them on a Savior. And Jesus Christ died for my sins. And God says, a God who forgets nothing, we're almost... Almost sometimes you say it and you think it's like a, some type of a fairy tale, but the Bible says it. The Bible says, God says, I remember their sins and iniquities no more. Why? Because Jesus Christ took them. Took them away. You say, I could believe that tonight. Believe that a man died instead of me, that he took my sins. And finally, our verse says here, he made intercession for the transgressors. I find it so fantastic that he ends with this line, that he made intercession, that he came, and sometimes we forget the gap that was there. The giant gap, you think of a Grand Canyon-like gap, and there, no man could go across. They used to tell me all the time that, uh, who was it, Evil Knievel, and all these guys used to try to jump the Grand Canyon. As a kid growing up, I always thought that it was something pathetic that they could do. Then I visited the Grand Canyon, and you realize you can't see the other side. You can't see the other side. You say, you say, how dumb that anyone would take a motorcycle and try to cross that. You said, hey, you might as well jump the Atlantic Ocean. You say, oh. You say, some people just want to do it because they want attention. You know, that, that, that huge canyon that separated me from God, I would still be staring across it. I would still be looking across that huge canyon. There's a man in the Bible, and, and there he is in hell. And he's looking across that huge canyon, and he sees a man in heaven. And you know, when, when the man who's there, Abraham, when he speaks to that man, you know what he says? He mentions the Bible. He mentions the Bible. And you know the first words out of the man in hell? He says, no, no. Sometimes people say that when you get down there to hell, that all of a sudden you'll know all that was wrong. You know, there's people in hell tonight, they're still saying no to the Bible. They're still saying no to what God has said. Because that, that, that canyon, that hole in the ground, you can't see across it. There's no hope of ever getting across. And then the Bible tells me this. There was a man who came, and he was the, he was the mediator. For there is one God. And one mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for sinners. The Bible here tells me he went and he became the intercessor for man and for God. He, he came and the Bible tells me this. He is able to save to the uttermost. And this is a verse about Jesus Christ today. He's able to save to the uttermost because he intercedes. On our behalf. He intercedes for God in heaven. He is the one who is able to save us no matter how bad, no matter how distant the gap is. He is able to save. The Bible tells me that. And here in this verse, it tells me here's the one man who has bridged the gap. Why? Because all God's wrath crushed him. All man's sin was placed on him. He was buried. After he died, he rose again, and all he wants to do is to see you saved. 
And so our chapter ends. And this is it, these last four lines. All the questions I could have about salvation. What to add? Add nothing. He's emptied everything. He's, he's poured out his soul unto death. You say, nothing to add. Where? Where can I go? Tell me where to go. No, he came right to where I was. He was numbered with me here. He was numbered with the transgressors at his birth. And if only we could see, he was numbered with the transgressors at his death. There with the two malefactors on either hand. And for him to be able to say to the one man, today you'll be with me in paradise. He still says that to men. Today, today you could be with him to know your sins forgiven. To be with him. He still says it today. To know that someone has taken your sins, that you don't have to look for a place to get rid of them because there's a man who has taken them. And finally, to know tonight that if ever you thought that this distance was too great to be bridged, that there was a man who came and he was fully God and he was fully man. He came from heaven and he came to earth. He was right here. He had a street address on earth and he had a street address in heaven. And they hung him on a cross. And at the end of this chapter, as you read all these verses, and we've sung it and we've talked about it over and over again, we're left with this one conclusion. He did it for me. All the way from the first verse and to the last verse. From the verse that tells us what they did to him, you'd never recognize him. Makes us so sad to think about it. From the points where it tells us that they crushed him, they wounded him. When it tells us about the lamb that was led to the slaughter, for the one who didn't even open his mouth. All these things that we read about, and you go home and you read all the 12 verses of Isaiah 53, and you just write one three-letter word above it all, and you say, why? He did it for me. Did he do it for you? Because you could recognize tonight that what he did do, he did for you. If you were the only person to have ever read Isaiah 53, he would have done it for you. He did it in order to save your soul. We're going to sing a hymn after we pray. The, the, the hymn is uh, a favorite of mine. And it's a hymn that says, come home. Come home. You think about life sometimes, and maybe it appeals to you more as a child than it does an adult. But there's nothing like going home. Nothing like it. You think if you, if you go away for weeks or for years, if somehow you find yourself living somewhere else, even, even family members who no longer get to call a place home, they say there's nothing like going home. Isaiah 53 was written so that people could know they're going home. You say, where's home? Home is where the Savior is. You say, how can I know I'm going home? You can go home because Jesus Christ has told you the way home. And he's told you that the way is not a list of things to do, but a person to have. Him. He's the one who takes us home. He's the one who forgives us of our sins. He is the one for you to trust tonight. To know him enough to trust him. We pray that tonight you would, and that you would be saved. We'll close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we give thanks once again for the Savior. And thankful once again to be able to talk about him tonight. 
as one who has done the greatest of all works. We can say tonight with honesty, where would we be concerning our knowledge of the maker of heaven and earth if it were not for the cross of Calvary? We would be so poor in our knowledge. We would know very little. But thank God that those six hours has told us an infinite amount of knowledge about who God is and what he has done. And so we're thankful tonight to once again declare the gospel message and the Savior of sinners. And we pray, Lord, tonight, like the definition of the man who has written this, Isaiah, we think of what his name means, God saves. And tonight we pray that there would be someone else who would realize just this, the meaning of the name Isaiah, that they don't save, uh, that Jesus saves. We pray, Lord, that they might have salvation because the work is finished and Christ has died. We're thankful that he rose again and that he is able to save to the uttermost all those that come to him. And so we ask, Lord, now to bless us and bring us home safely. And this we ask in your son's name, the Lord Jesus. Amen. We'll sing one hymn in closing, 111. 111, we'll just sing the uh, verse 1, and we'll sing uh, verse 4. Verse 1 and verse 4, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Just the first verse and the last verse of 111, and our meeting will be over. So, um...